Welcome, everyone, to Rock M Nation Podcast. I am your host, Sam Snelling. Uh, this is our first uh, coronavirus-impacted podcast <laughs> of the 2020 season. We are season, what, three? Episode 20, 20, 21 of Dive Cuts. So that's what we're here for, Dive Cuts. Me, Sam, uh You've heard his voice already, the dual set tones of A1 Landers Nelly fan, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are things in Indy? I mean, it's like my life before coronavirus. I go to the gym, I go to work, I hang out in the Bassett bunker, I watch basketball. I mean, I am sad that we're not going out to like enjoy meals in person, you know, and sitting down at places, but... Grubhub exists so I can order my favorite uh, dishes from various places. Uh, social distancing is going actually very well for me. How about you? I find that social distancing is actually uh, a large part of my life already. It's called um, being like an older than you... 30. Really, that's what happens. <laughs> like, It's what happens when you get to be older than 30. You're, you're, you're basically like giving up the one night a month where you kind of go out and do something and maybe see some yeah. friends. Uh, you're kind of giving that up. And honestly, like, I think a couple weeks ago we went out and hung out with friends. So we're probably good for like another another couple months and we'll we'll hunker down and we'll be okay. Um, there's probably more beer in my fridge than there has been in the, like the last couple years. Uh, I, in preparation... Uh, the other day, I, I sort of ran by Narrow Gauge and, and picked up uh, some four packs from uh, my friends at Narrow Gauge Brewing. And I, I say my friends, I, I don't know anybody there. Uh, and I They're also got a, a right couple now. packs of Citywide. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm a big fan. Um, but uh, yeah, so I also got some Citywide. And, uh, and the, as usual, the liquor cabinet is, is stocked pretty well. So. Um, we did our first, so, so, uh, have you like gone grocery shopping since all this came down? Cause I, I did my first trip to the store on, on Monday. We did ours on like Sunday um, and I get up early anyway. Like I'm up at like, regardless of the day that we come up by like six or six thirty at the latest. So we went at like eight on Sunday morning and yeah, the, the uh, toilet paper aisle w- was absolutely hammered. But everything else we found pretty easily. It was, and everyone around was like really nice and like, you know, it was, everyone was like trying to like respect the six foot distance and stuff. And you know, it was, it was not like a, uh, it was not as if, um, Doom was. It's not like some of the, the videos you've seen. <laughs> no, uh, humanity had not broken down. Uh, social order was maintained. Uh, difference was that like you if you're gonna get toilet paper it was gonna be the one ply generic stuff and beggars can't be choosers man yeah yeah we uh we went to um aldi's here in uh in dstl and uh and it was it was not like cleaned out but it was like the pickings were kind of thin um, but I cracked up, so we had, we stopped by uh, Whole Foods because there was a couple things there that we always like to pick up, and uh, and I'm like, oh, you know what? Like, we we've forgotten to grab a a can of like diced tomatoes, so I'm like, let me swing over to the the canned aisle, and I, I so I looked over, and there was there was zero canned goods other than like a few cans of like mixed beans uh but there were absolutely no tomatoes (laughs) the canned aisle was at whole foods was completely cleaned out um we have uh since gone to like schnooks and stuff like that and it's all you know fairly well stocked so i just kind of think it's it's hilarious like the things that people are sort of attaching themselves to uh, um i will say at whole foods also like the uh, fresh produce was gone. Like there was, there was virtually no produce out. Like when you walked in, and I was like, I was kind of floored by it because I'm thinking, well, if you're gonna go shopping and and you're gonna kind of keep your your distance, you're gonna stay at home for a while. 
you, the first thing you're going to go for is like the fresh produce, which is, you know, going to go, go bad. Like when, it, you know, a few days. Uh, yeah. And that was like, that was all gone. So it's, it's been, it's been interesting. Um, working from home all this week. Uh, I, you know, I do work from home occasionally already, uh, about, you know, normally I think once, once a week for me and, um, now I've got like a full blown setup and it's kind of nice. So my, my podcasting station has improved greatly. Uh, normally it's just me, a laptop and a microphone. Um, and now I have like a monitor and a, and a laptop stand and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's, it's nice. Yeah. The only thing that happened to us was, uh, our, our wedding, uh, is postponed or was postponed it's fixed now we changed the date but that was about the only thing that happened to us was our venue uh emailed us uh tuesday and was like hey uh we're canceling all events through may 8 our wedding was on may 2 but we had like foreseen that coming i don't i think anyone who is um you know obviously events have been really fluid like the last 10 days or so so we were you know, you could just kind of see the slow escalation was coming in terms of like trying to clamp down on large groups and, you know, how often people are out in public. So when we got the email, it was uh, still sad, but it didn't like catch us totally off guard. And, you know, by the by nine o'clock last, last night, we had moved everything to a new date in October. Nice. So, yeah, it was, uh, you know, we were joking that, uh, you know, we were about two months out anyway, so we were like just getting to crunch time, and now we gave ourselves seven more months to do it. So, <laughs> so that's been about the only like stressful part is is was that. But other than but working from home, you know, I've done that before in a former life. Um, when I covered LSU, uh, I actually worked out of a home office three to four days a week, and we just go over to campus and. You know, but I'd make all my phone calls, do all my writing there. So it's it's like going back and doing that. The biggest thing is finding, like, getting your regimen set every day. Like, mm-hmm. having a schedule, having a routine. Once you do that, it's, you know, pretty much like going to a, going to work. And I don't have to sit in 30 minutes of traffic to get to my office. So Yeah, I think uh, the one uh, section of my life that is definitely going to take a hit is the, uh, you know, and I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. But I do listen to some, and I'm not gonna listen to podcasts. Like I, so you know, my my day job is to the point like I can listen to some music if it's kind of turned down, but I can't I can't have like any kind of talking on, um, and and or at least be able to pay attention to it. So I mean, I could have it on, I just wouldn't be able to pay attention. So I think that's probably the one thing, um, and then obviously this kind of happening at the onset of what is like the greatest three to four week period of, of, uh, of basketball for, uh, for basketball fans. Um, there's a level of impact to our lives there for me. Like I've sort of already kind of moved to off season mode. So I've just sort of pretended like we're past the final four in the championship game. And, and I sort of, I really kind of, downsize my consumption of sports i'll watch an nba game here and there but for the most part um you know once college basketball season is over i sort of shut it down until uh what like late august when college football kind of kicks back in um i just not a baseball guy uh i mean hockey is fine Uh, i i prefer basketball so i you know like i said i'll watch the nba and then when the playoffs go i'll watch some of that but for the most part, I am missing the fact that like we didn't get March Madness and all kind of the fun of the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, but I, I I feel like I've turned the page already. Yeah, I, you know, I I every year I take off the Thursday and the Friday of the NCAA tournament, and that's you know that would have been tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I canceled those days off. I was actually like, yeah, I, I was talking I to my, my boss. I'm like, I'm, I'm probably just going to cancel because I have no reason to stay home now. Yeah, my boss loves me. I've canceled those two days off. I canceled two weeks off for a wedding and a honeymoon in it. May he's like, you're giving us back time right now. Um, <laughs> it's admittedly, I think, 
you know, you'll miss it, but there's such, you know, uh, it's been such a steady tempo of news related to coronavirus and to this pandemic. And, you know, I think by necessity, people's lives are demanding attention in a lot of other areas. And that's not to say that, you know, basketball, you know, wouldn't be valuable right now. I think having that as a distraction would certainly allay some, I think, anxiety that people feel right now. It would give um, a bit of a escapism to folks. But the reality is, too, um, just trying to make sure that you're going about your daily life in a way that's safe and also, you know, for a lot of us adjusting to, you know, new working conditions or just how social life has changed, it is, you know, using up a lot of the CPU right now. And, you know, frankly, you know, college basketball is a niche sport. You know, I don't, you know, March Madness occupies, you know, a, a central place in kind of the public's conception of college basketball, but if you haven't been following the sport year round, you're not invested in, you know, whether Baylor or San Diego state or Dayton or Gonzaga can be these kind of non-traditional powers that are going to kind of storm the castle and win a title. You're not kind of caught up in the, you know, daily, you know, churn of championship week of what's happening on the bubble. You know, it's, it's easy to sort of let that drift out of your mind and not miss the tournament as much as guys like you and I miss it. But also, um, I think I was saying this before, the adjustment for me has been pretty easy because, you know, with what we have in terms of streaming uh, TV options, with what we have in terms of, you know, Kindle readers, you know, traditional books, you know, with podcasts, there's there's a lot of other, um, I'll say cultural consumption that can happen. Mm-hmm. that can sort of fill the void and fill the vacuum. And so it feels like there's this phantom limb, like we should be gearing up to like watch games tomorrow. But if you were going to ask me, how am I going to fill that time? I don't think it's going to be a strain, which feels weird, <laughs> which feels weird. Cause I don't want to downplay how much I love the NCAA tournament, how much I love college basketball. But as a practical matter, there, there are ways to fill the void, and so I've, I've kind of wondered if the NCAA term, if the NCAA is also worried about that a little bit, if this will kind of recondition people to get used to not having basketball in mid to late March. Yeah, uh, I always kind of joke, I think, with uh, with my wife that the uh, you know there's like too many shows to watch, and we just don't have enough time. Um, to watch all the shows and so now we actually have some time like last night we watched uh book smart <laughs> which is a, a movie that came out last year uh that was really yeah it's really really good like i i would uh i would encourage anybody who i i would say it's sort of like a like a female version of super bad um except like I actually found the characters funnier and the the setup to be even more sort of original, um, even though like it's a little bit of a riff off off Superbad, but I just, like Superbad felt very sort of tropey, and this while it, sort of leaning into the tropes, it it there was I guess a little bit more of an originality there. I don't know. I maybe making stuff up, but this is not a uh, a, a culture podcast. Go watch. Uh, Booksmart, I think you'll enjoy it. It's the uh, directorial debut of Olivia Wilde. Uh, and two really uh, quite charming young actresses uh, play the leads. And, and so it's it's really good. Um, but we're here to talk about Mizzou Sports here 15 minutes into the podcast. Uh, Mizzou didn't get to play in the SEC tournament. So the SEC tournament was canceled the day that Missouri was supposed to play without fans uh against texas a&m uh the only teams that got to play in the sec tournament were teams that played in 
the opening Wednesday night, which is a place Mizzou has made their home uh, the last few years. And uh, and they finally get out of the Wednesday night play-in game, uh, and the tournament gets canceled before they can play. So uh, we don't really know how this team would have finished the year. I think there's a lot of people that, that were feeling more confident about how Missouri was playing basketball. Um, but I think more than anything, kind of going into the offseason, like, it is sort of just like you just pull the plug and, and the offseason's here. Um, I know there's kind of been a little bit of talk about people trying to get some seniors uh, an extra year of eligibility. That's not going to happen. I really don't see the NCAA doing that when there's been like 95 to 99% of the season played by most teams. And, you know, like that just leaves... Uh, a whole lot of weirdness, I think, that they'd have to figure out. And and when you've sort of completed that much, I think you just sort of pull the plug and move on. I mean, it sucks for those guys, but, you know, uh, careers and seasons end for all different kinds of players for all different kinds of reasons. Um, some guys get injured. You know, some guys, you know, just decide the, you know, transfer or whatever and, you know, maybe can't catch on. Um it does sort of suck for Reed Nico, who I think we can all appreciate. This has uh, been at times a Reed Nico appreciation podcast um, for what he's able to provide to the team and what he has sort of become as a as a player um, in his four years. Uh, but Missouri is only losing one guy. If they can sort of figure out a way to, to be more consistent, be healthy, bring everybody back, and add in what? What do they need, Matt? Uh, first, on the point about uh, seniors, John Rothstein reported this afternoon that the NCAA is unlikely to grant that extra year of eligibility to winter sports athletes. Um, and the logic is probably what you just said, which is those players completed the large bulk of the vast bulk of their seasons um obviously it sucks for that segment that will not get to experience march madness um but the that i don't know if that would necessarily constitute a hardship issue across the sport and also there's the practical matter of we didn't I could see if you could do. I could see doing it if you had a had enough teams to seed a field. If you had um, gotten through all the conference tournaments and you had had all the auto bids awarded to auto, uh, basically all the AQ bids awarded, and you could say, okay, the seniors on these sixty eight teams that we are seeding in the field, we will give you a reprieve because that would be a handful of guys, and you could say. You could put conditions saying if you opt to use this hardship waiver, um, you can't transfer. Like we're giving you this extra year to stay with your current uh, roster. But we did. But for the same reason why I thought it was silly that people were saying we should release a bracket, we had twenty AQ bids that hadn't been given out yet. We were in no way capable of like seeding a field. We would have had maybe what forty-eight slots we could have put on, put on there. If is this like nineteen eighty, the early eighties when we had forty-eight to fifty-two slots, it would have been just a, an impractical thing to do. And the same kind of thing I think applies to the eligibility waiver on what Mizzou needs. Um, I'm a broken record. I, I think they need to go find a wing. Uh, some people would say that it needs to be a spot-up shooting threat, a consistent shooter. Um, and I can honestly understand that point of view. Uh, the jump shooting on this team uh, was erratic this year, and that's probably putting it politely. Um, but to me, you know, I'm working on a piece kind of assessing, you know, what how the transfer markets unfolded. And I was sort of thinking about what Mizzou needs. Missouri ranked 285th this year in offensive efficiency on uh, trips that ended at the rim. And that doesn't include post-ups. So 
that, those are drives to the rim, cuts to the rim, transition opportunities at the rim. They were 285th nationally. That's, you know, Missouri's offense is predicated, if you look at shot charts, on twos at the rim and jumpers. And if you're making twos around the rim, the points per shot should equal out to what a three-pointer is. Um, and given that Missouri, in theory, has some guys who can spot up in Drew Smith and in Mark Smith, um, I think the the impetus has to be to go get a finisher, to go get a to go get a slasher or a guy who you can quick outlet the ball to in transition and can come down and apply immediate pressure on the rim. But uh, you know, feel free to disagree with me on that point. Uh, no, I think we've talked about it enough. If if Missouri is planning on staying pat as far as you know, trying to keep everyone who uh, is as of Wednesday, March eighteenth at eight forty-five p.m. Uh, on the roster right now, which would be everybody uh, except Reed Nicko uh, plus Jordan Wilmore. If that's you know the twelve guys that you're planning on having on your roster next year then the 13th guy absolutely needs to be somebody who can provide more of a scoring punch from the wing. Um, you know, I think if you look at the production that they got from Mark Smith and Torrance Watson this year, uh, two guys who I think reasonably we thought would give them more scoring punch. And I don't mean this to, to sort of degrade what you get from Javon Pickett, but I don't think Pickett will ever be a guy who you can say, yeah, I think we can count on him giving us, you know, 12 to 15 points. Um, you know, Pickett to me is a guy is kind of like Mitch Smith. Like he's a really good role guy. He's, be, he's bought into the system. He defends well. And when he gives you points, it's, it's great, but you don't want to be in a situation where you're counting on those guys to score. So you need somebody who can kind of come in. And I just don't think that the production that they got from Torrance Watson and, and Mark Smith, you know, validates uh, you not sort of looking at the market and trying to extract uh, the best possible score that you can get, you know, from, from what's available. Now, what's available eh, maybe isn't all that great, um, you know. But at this point, I, I think that has to kind of be the focus. Uh, and I really don't think that there's any other position, you know, other than maybe, you know, trying to find somebody who can uh, compete a little harder um, on the interior, um, you know, and, and maybe kind of as an expectation of what Jeremiah Tillman's going to do, um, which I think we all ex- sort of expect him to be back, um, you know, but I think, you know, that could play a role too i guess um but i think overall like the the wing is a very very clear need well and this is you know kind of i think what's has me working on a piece right now is the market itself i think is is unsettled for several reasons first um we just haven't seen the kind of coaching turnover that we're accustomed to seeing at this point especially at the high major level um no power conference jobs have come open which is very, very rare. Um, out of the 17 vacancies, all are at the mid-major or low-major level. Um, and I say that's important because that creates like a collateral chain of, of vacancies. Like a if Shaka Smart is fired at Texas, some pieces of his roster will inevitably look to move on. The coach that is plucked to replace him may leave behind some players who also go and try and find new homes or it may at both places it may lead some recruits to opt out of their lois and reopen recruitments and so what you get is this sort of ripple effect that you know you know knocks players loose and sort of creates you know what the transfer market is we haven't had that this year um there's been a lot of i think continuity is going to be a buzzword that we're going to see because there is not a lot of there aren't a lot of high major programs i think in this environment um keen to move on from a coach and whether that's because you know it was just a year where i don't think there was a lot of or i think it was a mediocre year where it was hard to sort of evaluate the performance of coaches in 
overall, given that it was a down year in the sport, and also just, again, the circumstances right now, how are you going to run a search in the middle of a global pandemic? Like, how are you... <laughs> Like, how are you going to run a smooth search and get out and vet? And will guys want to be on the road right now? And so I think that it's in that way, it's sort of locked up that part of the market. Um, you mentioned Jeremiah Tillman. Uh, he told Dave Matter two weeks ago he was going to explore the draft process, but he, quote, wasn't going to put two feet in. Um, I think that landscape looks markedly different now. Um, the NBA is still keeping the, de- the deadline to declare on April 16th. Um, but NBA teams are pulling their scouts off the road. You know, there's a question of, you know, how, you know, are they going to be bringing players in for workouts or for meetings? Is the pre-draft combine going to happen? So our front office is going to be able to get out and really vet guys. And that doesn't matter for the top of the draft for guys like Anthony Edwards or James Wiseman or Obi Toppin. But it sure as hell matters for guys like Tillman, who are going to try and fight their way into the second round or into the first round, late first round, or try and get on a two-way deal. Those guys need to, or score free agent deal that's guaranteed in some portion, they need to get vetted and scouted outside of video and phone calls. And so if you can't do that, you know, you might, you know, a couple weeks ago you might have intended to throw your name in, but are you going to do that now? If those types of players opt to come back, that creates fewer openings that transfers would have to fill, and so the downward there's downward pressure on guys to need to transfer. So you don't have as much demand for immediate uh, stopgap type of players. And then, obviously, it's just everything about this, you know, the current state of affairs globally has made it hard to do any kind of business. Um the NCAA has effectively shut down recruiting until April 15. It's a dead period. Coaches can't go visit guys, you know, at their high schools. They can't do in-home visits. They can't hold, you know, um, they can't hold official visits. And the NLI has said that, you know, they will not allow signatures to happen until April 15. So there's basically another month before you could do a traditional recruitment of calling a kid convincing him to come to your campus and then having him sign an an NLI. So that's, you know, if you're a coach right now and you want to, you know, vet guys, it's getting really hard. So the market itself is just, it feels like it's really kind of intention where like a lot of guys are, I think, waiting to see, you know, what's going to happen. And I think all the uncertainty is going to lead guys to be a little bit more conservative. And I think I told you, I, I don't think it's going to lower the number of transfers. I just don't know if we're going to see the kind of caliber of transfer that we've seen the past couple of years. So that's what I'm sort of monitoring is if Missouri is looking in the transfer market, is there going to be the guy there that, that they might have been able to get in past years that's going to come in and, and fill the need we're talking about? Yeah, I think we kind of know, uh, you know, we talked offline about somebody like cash and what he was able to bring. And I think that's sort of like the ideal of what you want. I don't really think you can ever expect when you make a move like that to have a guy basically come in and play at an all league level. Um, You know, but I do think that just some added scoring punch was something that they probably could, could have been able to find in a normal off season. This being a, a very abnormal offseason um, probably means, yeah, that we're, we're not going to see a lot of movement. Um, you know, maybe Missouri will kind of continue to do what they've done since Conzo has been hired and surprise us with some sort of unknown signing, <laughs> you know, like halfway through the summer or something, like once things kind of settle down. But even at this point, like it's, it's just so hard to even know uh, – you know, with like the seriousness of this disease, like how how that is going to impact everybody in the sport, and um, you know, very very obviously, like I think one of the good things that maybe is kind of coming out of this is you know we are kind of taking it seriously to the point where maybe you realize that um, you know how 
how unimportant sports really are in, in, in the spirit and in our lives. And um, even though we love them and we, uh, we pay attention uh, astutely to everything that, that happens with our, our sort of chosen uh, teams. And in the end, like what Mizzou does with their 13th player, you know, like I'll just be happy if they're playing games again <laughs> in, in the fall. It's just one of those things like I, I really just want to watch some basketball um, and, and hope that it, it we're able to do so without, you know, uh, restricting who can come and, um, you know, and, and having some absurd number of people who have lost their lives to, to something like this. So I think we're at just at a point now where, you know, there's just so much on hold. It's really kind of hard to, uh, to know what to expect, uh, this off season when, um, you know, cause we've talked about, but in the past, like how important this, uh, this 21 class could be, uh, for Missouri and you know maybe um, maybe if they kind of played their cards right they wouldn't have to take as many uh, as many of these uh, you know class of 21 kids um, you know but it, it is going to kind of be interesting to see like the impact that um, not having a spring evaluation period has on on who Mizzou pursues as their incoming freshman class for you know, the class of uh, 21, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, think about this. They had Kobe Bufkin on the books for March 21, a really, really good combo guard who you and I like out of Michigan. You know, uh, they were going to get him down and you got, you have to assume now with the restrictions and the dead period and the unofficial visits kind of being nixed, um, that may not happen. Like that's, you know, the EYBL is off through, you know, at least April and May. Um, and so you look at what's going to be coming down in the next month, you know, when the lot, we you know when the NLI signing period started, you know, starts on April one and then the EYBL would have opened here in Indianapolis the weekend of the 16th or the 17th, you know, now that's off, you know, how are you going to get out and evaluate and, you know, decide how you want to round out the rest of your recruiting board. Missouri's got about 15 or 16 guys in the 21 class that have offers. But they usually, in the, at least in the past couple of years, have thrown out five to six in April and May and kind of started to round it out. And then they kind of wait until ahead of the July period and wait and see who's had a good grassroots season and maybe they'll chuck out a couple more. But, you know, what's Missouri going to do now? You know, and and how are they going to be able to get out and evaluate, and how are they going to be able to see guys and sort of you know press the issue there? Because I think they're going to need to fill right now on pace for five five scholarships in twenty one. So yeah, it's they're in a bit of a bind right now. And <laughs> the interesting thing now to bring it back to what we were just talking about is, um, do you take a grad transfer right now for a one year holdover, or do you try and go find a sit-out transfer who can be ready to go in 21. You know, there's, you know. Well, that's another thing is we we don't entirely even know that even if you take a sit-out transfer. That they're going to have to sit. They're going to be, yeah, like they, they might approve the. Immediate eligibility, you know, the, immediate eligibility for transfers. So it, it's. The one-time transfer, I think. The one-time, the one-time, yeah, the one-time transfer exemption. So. It's just from a roster construction standpoint, like if you're, you know, Conzo Martin, I think kept 12 going into the 2018-19 season before he signed Christian Guest in September to fill um, Cullen Van Leer's scholarship. But, you know, do you keep that scholarship open? You know, if you, if the market doesn't evolve in a way that produces an immediate impact type player that's attainable for you. Do you hold that open and just maybe look at a mid-year transfer? You know, a guy who, you know, gets kicked loose, maybe you're able to go get that, go get them and sort of fill a spot. You can focus your efforts on the 21 class and trying to sign, you know, your top three targets, keep that one scholarship open, try and sign a mid-year guy and then go into spring. You know, it, 
it'll be really interesting to see the kind of approach they take um, because the roster right now, you know, we talked about it, obviously had its deficiencies. The offense was not nearly good enough. Um, once Tillman, you know, missed half the season, it just, you know, eroded, you know, the foundation of their defense without having a good backline rim protector there. But, you know, does this staff sort of say, you know, there were a lot of things that went cataclysmically wrong this year. You know, we can envision that will happen again. Um, and really for Missouri, the question is, can they, you've got to eke out four more wins, I think, you know, to be a bubble team. We've talked about how the SEC is going to be tougher next year. Um, but maybe this staff looks at the roster and says, we believe another offseason of player development is going to round this thing out to where we're going to, you know, maybe have, again, be spared bad injury luck. We're going to have guys that are going to, you know, find their stride and we can get to 19 or 20 wins and we can, you know, reset with a really nice 21 class and kind of reset the foundation. I don't know, but it, it's interesting the multitude of directions they can go. Um, and I think you can make a compelling case for almost any one of them being a reasonable one. Yeah, I think it's far more likely at this point that we see, um, I you know, a lot more of uh, what they've sort of done to date, which is try to just continue to build the roster slowly, um, and basically hope that next year they have just a, a few more bounces of luck uh, in in shooting and uh, and maybe that's all it takes. Like I just. I realize that when you have a whole season of data, it, it doesn't really like it's not an outlier, right? It's it's a whole season of data, um, but it is it is something that's interesting to me. The fact that I mean, merely moving back to three point line shouldn't make uh, all these guys who had good seasons shooting the ball, you know, two or three years ago, uh, in the case of like you know, Drew Smith and then two years ago for, for like Mark and Torrance and even, you know, Pinson, um, for them to just basically fall off a cliff shooting. And, and I, I think I've, we've sort of come to the realization that you can't necessarily count on, uh, those guys becoming good shooters. I think you can rely upon Mark Smith as being, uh, consistent, but, is he able to stay healthy? And I think, like, if if Mark Smith is healthy all year, if Jeremiah Tillman is healthy all year, then I do think this is a, a roster that you should expect them to be on the bubble. And if they're not, with everybody's health and everybody coming back, uh, then I think you need to, like, and by you, I think that that's Jim Sturk. He needs to evaluate, like, if, if Conzo Martin is sort of the right fit uh, to kind of get everything done. Um, and I say this, I guess somebody, I, I'm far more impressed with Consul Martin's coaching, uh, on a game to game basis than I think a lot of people, uh, you know, out around commenters, all the kind of stuff. Uh, like I, I, I think when you, I feel like I've made this point before, but, um, when you look at like the game planning and you look at the strategy and you look at all the things that that coaches really can impact, um, he's been excellent in those in those areas where he's fallen short. Is is right is is roster construction. Uh, the the guys that he's put on the floor to compete haven't executed enough and. I think that falls more on him uh, and his ability to recruit and pull the kind of talent that he needs uh, and less on whether or not he's a good basketball coach. And I'll, I'll always uh, I'll always make that distinction because I think as a former coach, and I, and I think Corey Keyes even kind of tweeted something out about something along the lines of, like, if people only really understood what coaches, like, can and can't control um, – like they'd be pretty amazed at at what is sort of out of control, and uh, 
And I think when you look at what Konzo can and can't control, like I'm always impressed with with like Mizzou's plan of attack. He always seems to have his teams more than ready to win the strategy side of it. Um, they don't always execute all that great, and you know, like they're just as prone to anybody as having an off night. Um, but you know, when it comes to like, here's what we're trying to do, you can see it. You can see it why it would be effective, and then when it's not effective, it's usually because like just the wrong guys are on the floor. Um, so for me, like maybe it is another season and, uh, another year of maturity. Um, I tend to kind of think that what you kind of get from guys is, uh, as they kind of go through their sophomore year, that, that they're far more likely to sort of be that player than have some sort of great leap. Um, you know, but if, if Missouri comes out and plays with Jeremiah Tillman and Mark Smith on the floor for the entire season and they're healthy, I still think this is a team that that's a lot more, a lot closer to the bubble than they ended up. Um, and what that means as far as you know, are they uh, in the tournament or not in the tournament? I I I think they're probably still out of the tournament. But um, you know, if another season of of growth sort of turns them into a tournament team. And I think you can kind of start to buy in and on what Konzo's trying to do, as long as you also sort of see strides happening off the court. Um, and I think for me, like that's why I'm really, really curious and to see how, uh, you know, that this off season and recruiting is impacted. And if maybe, you know, because of uh, the, limited ability for maybe some some bigger programs to jump in on some guys that Missouri's been on for a while. Um, maybe they're able to kind of overcome those things and and, and draw in uh, a, a few more talented players in the in the 21 class. Yeah, they've it you know I'm fully prepared for the blowback to happen when Josh Christopher announces his college destination um (laughs) it won't it's 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 not going to be missouri it's not going to be missouri and i don't think it's going to be as loud as it was when missouri lost cam fletcher and caleb love because one those were in-state guys that missouri made a priority and they were just closer in proximity um and there's just been Anybody who follows recruiting and the people who usually scream about it follow it, you know, probably even more closely than I do, should be aware that, you know, Missouri's, according to recruiting reporters, has faded in that race for Christopher. You know, I think I saw a report this week that had a Missouri third, a distant third behind Michigan and Arizona State. And, you know, Christopher's made numerous trips to Arizona, to Tempe. His brother plays there. You know, the feeling is like it's going to be a, a, a fight between those two. Um, you know, Donovan Williams, a guy we talked about, uh, who we both really liked as a prospect, uh, who we wish, you know, maybe gotten uh, an offer but didn't, uh, has, you know, trimmed his list down to six. And, you know, Missouri had been in touch with Jermonte Hill uh, during the season, uh, but I haven't seen any reports to indicate that that's, you know, got any further. But again, the staff operates in stealth mode a lot, so... Who knows, you could see Jermonte Hill signing, and I wouldn't be shocked. Um, but the point being, like, there's... I don't think there's a prep recruit out there that's going to sate people who want to see Zoe get a recruiting win right now. Um, and if they sign a transfer, just looking at the market right now, it may be a guy who can, you know, provide a specific skill set. You know, is it a floor spacer or a 3 and D wing who can come in and give you that one particular thing in a lineup? Um, but that plug-and-play, high-impact, you know, type of player, I haven't seen it right now. And given who jumps in for those guys, you know, I think it would be a dogfight for Missouri to have to sell itself as the, as the best spot outside of, hey, we have a lot of minutes and we need you. Um, so that'll be fascinating to see is, 
you know, I agree with you that by and large, I, I like how, how Zoe approaches, you know, scouting and how he approaches building game plans. You know, we we joke a lot that when shots go down, man, the offense looks really, really good. <laughs> it does. But it's, it's amazing. <laughs> but it's, but it's. I think I've I've said this to you during games. Like Missouri will run great action, and it'll produce a kick out for Javon Pickett, or it'll produce a Mitchell Smith drive. Like it's it's not necessarily the structure of the offense sometimes as much as it is. Like who's having to complete the play that you know, or complete the shot that's been created, and that's not a knock on Mitchell Smith, who I think has become a really, really good switch defender, rebounds, plays with a ton of effort. I think Pickett still, you know, provides you know a lot of the kind of catalyst plays, you know, getting an offensive rebound, being there on a rotation to take a charge getting a stick back, sometimes cutting off the ball. But I think what we're trying to say is Missouri doesn't have a conduit you can pump the offense through. And it's not a knock to say that those guys provide valuable contributions, but they're not the alpha in this offense. Um, And so as we go through the offseason, it's going to be curious to see how this roster appears to take shape because – this season was going to be a by committee approach too, and that was something that Martin sold last off season as, you know, being a boon. Like, hey, every different, you know, each night we can get contributions from different parts of the lineup, and we saw that that didn't. What happens when that doesn't pan out well? Admittedly, injuries are a confounding variable there, but you know they don't. You know, we saw them try this kind of thing a year ago, and unless there are clear steps forward by certain members of the roster there's reason for some skepticism that that approach can work again. Um, and I think, you know, I've said before on this podcast, the the marginal return you get on a guy's development diminishes the longer they're in school. You know, it's just a fact of life. Potential, you know, soon, become the reali- soon becomes reality. You know, what they are is what they are as a player. Um and so that's going to be the question for guys like Torrance Watson and Javon Pickett and Xavier Pinson, who, even though he finished the year well, you know, still a little turnover prone, still struggles at times in pick and rolls. You know, there's there's a lot of questions that you know if if the and if the answers are you know we're going to develop this team and we're going to continue to shape this talent, I can understand why people are going to be skeptical. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Uh, as far as shaping expectations, you know, moving forward this offseason, because Zoe was pretty clear in saying he thought this team was underrated last season and was going to surprise some people. You know, with the kind of state of play, are they a little bit more, or is he a little bit more tempered in sort of how he tries to set expectations and in terms of how he tries to frame where this team is? Well, it's a good question. Um, I think it'll be interesting to kind of see where we are um, in like another two to four weeks as far as any sort of fleshing out of uh, the roster has happened. Um, you know, transfers are still kind of popping up here and there. Uh, I think it's it's sort of been more of a slow trickle um, with the transfers than, um, than I think we're kind of accustomed to, which is more of like a damn burst. Like once the season wraps, everyone's just like, I'm transferring. Um, so we'll see like where we are. Um, so, uh, I'm going to do a little, like what people can expect from us. Um, is there anything else that you want to touch on before we get out of here? No, no. Um, just thankful for people listening as they try and, uh, pass the time, uh, working from their, uh, home desktops. So we appreciate uh, them listening as they try and uh, burn clock. Yes. Uh, so we are going to begin a bit of an alternating week to week. We're going to switch to off-season mode. Uh, my expectations kind of going forward is you should be able to get a podcast per week from Rock M Nation. Um, 
and for the time being, that will be alternating with uh, with Nate and BK on Before the Box Score. I don't know if you've been listening to that. If you haven't, you should. It's actually quite good. Uh, those guys are developing uh, a chemistry that um, far surpasses uh, the uh, terribleness that, that you get from dive cuts on a regular basis. Um, so we will have off-season sort of reactions, uh, player reviews, all that kind of stuff coming up. Um in fact, Josh is already pinging me today. He's just like, are you going to write on those? I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's like things have been a little busy as we prepare for the apocalypse or just basically just staying in the house for as much as possible. Um, but yeah, so th- there'll be a lot of content to come. Matt's got a thing coming on the transfer stuff, which I think will be really interesting. Um, and then if uh, there's feedback that you uh, have for us, if you want some. If you want us to kind of cover something this offseason or if there's uh, anything that you want to throw our way, feel free. Um, we've got a little extra time on our hands now with uh, with no no sports in general around. <laughs> I almost said no hoops, but it's just no sports. Um, so, yeah, feel free to ask on Twitter and, and we'll uh, we'll see what uh, what shakes out. Um, but until then, so we will be back in two weeks. Matt and I will uh, will sort of cover the latest news and see if we can't figure out what Mizzou is going to do uh, with their offseason roster. So until then, thank you for tuning in.